You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I received a piece of work yesterday and it's titled the following, Fast and Furious, Policymakers React to COVID-19. And then underneath that it says central banks have done a lot, says Russell Silverstone, but is it enough? I'll read you the first paragraph. It says, since its first appearance in Wuhan, China, towards the end of December 2019, the coronavirus or COVID-19 has spread rapidly across the world, causing widespread strains on society and economies. We all know that, of course, but have the central banks done enough? On the telephone now with me is Russell Silverstone, investment strategist, macroeconomic and policy research at 91 in London. They've done a lot, haven't they? How much more can they do, Russell, even if this isn't enough? Yeah, hi there, Lindsay. I mean, in terms of monetary policy, um, they're maxed out on interest rates. Interest rates in, in all of the major economies, with, with the exception of, of, of China, they are at zero. Um, in terms of quantitative easing, um, bearing in mind um, that, with the exception of the Federal Reserve, no one had actually got out of the assets they'd bought um, in, from, from the GFC in the first place, it, it, it's hard to say. Um, the Bank of Japan has told us that actually, um, uh, you know, there, there may not be, or the limit may be a little bit further away. Um, it, it, it's, it's a question of credibility. Um, but I think all we could say is that, the, you know, the, the speed with which they've reacted to the outbreak of the virus and the economic slowdown has been absolutely immense. Um, it will tail off from here. But, you know, the big question is going to be whether it's enough. Well, exactly. And if there is a really big event, whether it be a black swan event, because you actually mentioned the the black swan event, uh, referring to Nassim Nicholas Taleb's uh, 2007 book, the bestseller, The Black Swan. He gives three, I think, criteria to describe a black swan event. This particular event doesn't quite fit all three. But if, let's say, there was a black swan event that was associated with the coronavirus or COVID-19, there's no ammunition left in the central banks, even if they wanted to do something about it. No, that's absolutely right. So Paul Tucker, who was uh, Deputy Governor at the Bank of England, sort of made a, a distinction between policy that can um, stimulate aggregate demand in the economy and an economy and policy that can help support financial markets. I think on the former, policy that can support aggregate demand it is maxed out, um, and, and, and but in terms yes. of policy that can support um, market functioning, which, which in turn um, will, 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 will feed through to the economy, I think they can do a lot more, um, abs- absolutely. But I think the real distinction I will draw is that the boundaries between what we think of monetary policy and what we think of fiscal policy, which of course is carried out by by, by governments, is going to begin to blur, um, and that's a, you know that's a big change and, and and so yeah there's there's lots we can do so even even now um and, and and ultimately of course you know you drift into the possibility of, of helicopter money you know literally printing money at a central bank to give to people so there's there's more that can be done well, let's use the United States as an example, if you like, uh, because the monetary policy of the uh, US Federal Reserve has been fairly dramatic in the last two, two months or so. And it's been accompanied by, a, I suppose, something that could be construed as fiscal policy, you know, checks through the post signed by Donald Trump, etc. Are, are they coming together, though, to meld together into one pot, if you like, and rather than being distinct between each other? I don't think we're at the stage yet where, well, with one exception, which I'll tell you about in a minute, where where, where they're merging. Um, mm. So there's there's a bit of there's a bit of a a, a grey area. Um, so you know the checks that are arriving in the post are very much fiscal policy. Yes. Um, so, so 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 that that's very very clear. 
the, a lot of the market support um, 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 innovations um, that the Federal Reserve has done um, are actually the capital to, to, to actually fund those is coming from the Treasury um, and the Fed is actually leveraging up that capital through a special purpose vehicle to go, to go and buy assets in the market. So that, that's, a, you know, that's um, you know, a hybrid. Um, very interestingly, where we have seen um, what we would call monetary financing has actually been in the UK and what the UK has decided to do um, is um, literally the Bank of England is printing money. Um, that money goes into the Treasury's bank account at the Bank of England and the Treasury draw down on that money. Think of it as an, as, as, as an overdraft. Mm. Uh, and, that's, and that's monetary financing of debt. And that, that really is potentially going down the rabbit hole. Um, now, of course, the, the, the Treasury have been very, very clear that this is a temporary measure, which, which you know, there's no reason to think it wouldn't be. And it's all about, you, know, you don't want to send a sort of deluge of debt into the UK government bond market, which is, which is you know, relatively small, relatively idiosyncratic. Um, but I, I will personally be watching very closely how quickly they pay that overdraft back off. You know, they've basically got to borrow in the market, pay back the Bank of England, because if they don't, um, then, then, then you know, we've, we've, we've crossed a very clear boundary, I think. Yes, indeed. And it has implications, of course, for the balance sheet of the Bank of England. Without a doubt. So, you know, one, one, one person's asset is another person's liability. And, and, and one of the sort of fallacies I've, I've seen is, is you know, if you think of the Bank of Japan, for example, which now owns half of all Japanese government debt, astounding figure, is why doesn't the Bank of Japan just write that off um, and, and, and cancel the debt? And, of course, the answer is you can't. If you think about it as, as a balance sheet, half their assets have disappeared, but they've still got 100% of the liabilities. and They will be utterly insolvent. So, you know, there's, 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 no, there's no easy answers here. Um, and, 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 you know, we are... Say there's there's plenty more that can be done, but 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 just the, these boundaries are becoming very opaque, very vague, uh, and, and and quite what's monetary and quite what's fiscal is is is, is beginning to get blurred. Yes, there's a lot of blurring as well. When I come to analysing what goes on almost every day, sometimes uh, hour by hour, you look at the Fed, you look at the BOE, that's the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, the ECB, uh, the Bank of Japan, and then you look at the governments of all those jurisdictions uh, as well. Is it coordinated or is it every man for itself, in your opinion? I, th I think there are elements of coordination, but generally speaking, I, I, I think it's a, you know, everybody's reacting as best they can with the institutions they have and, 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 and the laws which, you know, under which they, they have to operate. Um, but I, I think in terms of the objective, it's all the same. And, and I, th I think there's two very, you know, there's, well, there's one very, very clear objective in all of this, which is, that, you know, the, the, the shock hopefully will be relatively short term, but the one thing that no major policymaker anywhere in the world can allow to happen is that that shock destroys working capital in our economies and destroys the labour market, you know, because then the tower of this will be incredibly long. Uh, and so I think all of the policies we're seeing one way or another are all aimed at, at, at just trying to keep labour markets you know, function or, or at least on, on uh, you know, just, just keeping them ticking over. Um, and so that the jobs are there 
when when this is over, and they're trying to make sure that working capital isn't destroyed. Good good businesses are not being forced out of business because of this, and 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 so you know, in terms of the actual strategies, I think they're different. In terms of the objectives, I think they're exactly the same. I watched the BBC this morning, and there was a great fear that certain jobs will be destroyed and will never come back, uh, not in the short, medium, or long term, unless the UK government does something. Maybe that was just one of those sensational BBC headlines. I don't know. In the United States of America, it's an election year. We know that. But the United States, um, Mr. Trump and his team came up with a sort of a three-phased reopening, as they call it, of the U.S. economy. Uh, so two very different case studies again. But do you put a, do you hold a lot of store in the fact that the labour market is the key to future policy? I mean, I think you have to be optimistic, don't you? Uh, I, I'm sure um, uh, certainly... You know there are going to be changes, um, and so uh, you know just, just just sort of thinking, sort of leisure people are going to be more reluctant to eat out. They're going to be more uh, reluctant to, to to go to the movies, etc. And 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 those sort of businesses, you know, you can see maybe maybe those jobs aren't going to come back in the, in, in the short term. But but generally speaking, I, I I think you know whilst the town of this might be quite long, we we will we will go back. I think things things will be different, but we will get back. Um, and it's really hard to speculate. Like you know where 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 we end up, but I mean you know I I, I read a I read a stat yesterday that that actually you know the, the, a large amount of small businesses literally don't have money to survive more in cash flow to survive more than a month. Mm. So you know I, I I don't think governments have got any choice other than to sort of you know hope for the best that what they're doing um, you know is 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 enough just to keep things ticking over until we can come through the other side of this. It's very interesting, actually, because Austria was one of the first European countries, one of the first countries in the world to start to liberalise their lockdown policy. And I was reading statistics for the first week or so since they reopened the shops. Mobile phone shops have done very, very well indeed. But most other shops are only seeing 40% of the business that they saw before the lockdown occurred. I wonder if that could be replicated or if Austria is just uh, an isolated case. That's something for another discussion, Russell. One of the paragraphs in your piece that you kindly sent me is uh, titled a possible path for macro data in the coming months we've seen macro data from china over the last 24 hours a minus 6.8 percent print on gdp the worst since 1976 i think is or rather the first contraction since 1976 is this a macro data path that will be followed by other countries do you think yes i think it will be to be honest with you i mean um china obviously is different. It's 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 very much um, a, a centralised economy, um, and I think they can manage things sort of much better, perhaps than than, than, than the more liberal Western economies. Um, now, what I did in the piece was was you know we. we it, it, this, this this crisis has really reversed everything. You know, generally, when we look at economies, you know, we're pretty confident we know what's going to happen in the next three months. And quite frankly, you know, after a year, it's it's, it's much more speculative, speculative. This has reversed everything. You know, we don't really know what's going to happen in the next three months, uh, but we, we we think over a year or two that, that we will see a normalisation. So it's so it's 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 flipped our time horizons. Is the first thing I'd say. And, and what we actually did was is literally just work out. Okay, so you know, if you take a how much do households spend 
in an economy over the course of the year, you can begin to guess, and it is a guess, uh, how, how, how much that's sort of fallen by. And, and the number I came up with the UK was uh, a minus 40% contraction um, in, in, in um, retail, in, in household demand. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, here, the, the, the um, government's official um, sort of fiscal watchdog came up with min- minus 35%. So I was actually quite Well done. That, but but what what's interesting about back, back, back to your Austrian example is when when you look at um, a consumption basket, you, you know I think several households in in, in different economies are, are similar. Um, things like housing, transport, um, and 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 food and and and, and drink are the, are the big expenditure items. You know, there's been no change in housing. We still have to pay rent. You have to pay for utilities. But the big falls been in things like transport. You know, um, it's it's 14 percent of the whole consumption basket. Here in the UK, it's very similar elsewhere. You know, if you think eighty and ninety percent fall, that's that's eleven percent of GDP. I mean, the you know the numbers are enormous. When you begin to drill down into this, things like you know recreation and culture, are people going back to cinemas? As I said, um, are they going back to gyms, restaurants, and hotels? Ten percent of consumption. You know, are people going to do that? Are people going back to 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 to, to sit in restaurants? So you know, I can see potentially it coming back, but 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 it's not going to come back equally. Um, so you say communication um, clearly bounced back, but here in the UK, which is the only one I've got the de- detailed numbers for, it's less than two percent of consumption. So you know it's not enough to move the dial. Uh, you need to see those big sectors really, really come back. So that's transport, uh, recreation, culture, restaurants, and hotels. Uh, and and so it's certainly possible it, it will come back, but 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 it's not you know in, in the jargon where everyone's been talking about a V shaped recovery. Yes. It's not going to be it's not going to be V shaped. It's, it's it's going to be much more it's going to be much more gentle than that yes i think so and sadly that is historically will tell us the sort of fall that we've seen the sort of shock that to the system that we've seen doesn't immediately mean a straight bounce back and and therefore the v that you're talking about i like this uh, paragraph these few sentences that you put in your piece towards the end of it it says here relative to the measures g20 enacted during the gfc that's the global financial crisis of 2008 of course which the imfs calculate as 2.1 percent of gdp the fiscal response has been impressive the monetary response is also approaching gfc levels which the imf calculates as 29.8 percent across the average of G20 countries. That's quite big. But this isn't the global financial crisis, you say. As we know, it's very, very different to that. Banks are much better capitalised. Household debt is manageable, you say. And only corporate debt levels appear elevated. The impending fall in GDP, gross domestic product, will be historically large, but it's important to remember that it is temporary. Temporary. So you're optimistic. A lot of people are saying... A lot of people said when this first started, oh, it's just like a SARS, it'll, it'll go away. Clearly not the case. A lot of people saying GDP fall and denudation is going to be temporary. Maybe it won't be, Russell. Have you factored that into any of your models? No, I mean, I, I think there's certainly a downside scenario. Um, and, and, and I think you, you touched on it there. The, the, the fear is that the debt that had been building up um, in, in, in the long shadow of the global financial crisis, business in particular just look at that and say, you know, we've over leveraged um, and, 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 and we need to retrench. And, and of course, the, the classic example of this is, is Japan, where, where, where Japan really, back in the mid-90s, actually, um, they, they borrowed and borrowed against, against sort of rising land values um, and, 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 and then 
you know, the, the world stopped turning for them uh, and they just retrenched and, 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 and carried on retrenching. So it's almost like a, it's a behavioural change. And, and, and that's clearly the danger in all of this, that actually um, companies just look at look at the debt they've taken on. Um, you know, their interest rate costs are not going to get any lower. Um, and, and, and they'll look at the assets that are actually against those debts and think, you know, we need to retrench. So, so no, I, I, you know, we're, I'm trying to be relatively optimistic, um, which yes. is I must must have been out of character for me. But but there's clearly a downside. Uh, there's clearly a downside scenario. Um, and and in terms of our, the the weight we're putting on it, it's it, it's around about thirty five percent probability. Uh, you know, as, as 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 we see the world at the moment. So what we're faced with here is an unknown. It's it's a known unknown now, but it's still an unknown, i.e. the COVID-19 virus. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know when the vaccine will come. We don't know how long the vaccine will take to develop and therefore be implemented. But what we've got is a change of behaviour. You say behavioural change is the danger here. And that's a very prophetic statement because it's corporate behaviour, it's central bank behaviour, and it's also human behaviour. And all all of those three are led by humans. Obviously, the last one is human behaviour, but corporate behaviour is run by human beings as well, as is central bank behaviour. So we're, we're completely up in the air, Russell. I think we are, to be totally frank with you. And, and, and you know, you can see that in, in terms of sort of normal economic life has, has been put on hold. So, you know, lots of companies feel they're unable to give guidance. Um, a lot of the central banks um, are unable to, to, to give forecasts as to, to, to where they think economies are going, although they're getting slightly better than that. Um, no one really knows how high US unemployment is going to go. So, yeah, I, I mean, it is literally, um, it's going to affect everything. Um, but, but then again, you know, if you look at what happened post nine uh, eleven, you know that 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 was horrific, and 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 no one thought anyone was ever going to fly again. But you know what? You know, a few years later, people sort of inch back in, and and I would suggest airline travel probably before this hit was probably all time high. So so you know we will get over this, and and the money being thrown into the vaccine is 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 monumental. They will find a vaccine for it. But it but 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 I think one lesson I think for for my part of the world is that Asia. Um, has been so much more resilient to this because of the SARS experience. So, you know, we will fight the last battle. Uh, we will become, you know, in, in the Western world, we will become more resilient. Um, and, and, and if something like this happens again, we'll be much better prepared. Um, so, so, you know, I think, that's the, I think that's the optimistic case. OK, well, I hope you're optimistic next time we speak in the next couple of months. And I just wonder what the conversation will be like then. It's bound to be different. Hopefully not too different, though. Russell, thank you very much for your analysis. That's Russell Silverstone, investment strategist, macroeconomic and policy research at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.